ESPN Radio. Major League Baseball's back, and we're going to play 162 games. The international draft, which was such an issue, found a solution. Once that happened, Major League Baseball sent a proposal back over to the Players Association, and it was voted through. It's great news for all baseball fans. Rank and file, pretty happy, and pretty happy to be flying from all over the country and the world to get to spring training on time. It is opening day in Major League Baseball. A couple games have already been postponed. The Mariners and the Twins, the Red Sox and the Yankees. A couple games currently in progress. Top of the seventh between the Guardians and Kansas City. Both tied up at 1-1. Bottom of the fifth between the Padres and the Cardinals. St. Louis up 4-0 on the Pirates. This is game. This is uh, ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and streaming live over on ESPN+. Plus, We're going to welcome in Buster Olney, ESPN Major League Baseball insider and host of the Baseball Tonight podcast. Kind enough to join Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas here on Progressive on ESPN Radio, if I can actually speak. Um, Buster, I want to start out here, because we're not that far removed from the 99-day lockout ending about a month ago and baseball implementing these rule changes and you know we know about pitchcom and this new technology that's supposed to prevent sign stealing from happening like where is baseball right now at the start of the season it feels like the lockout was so long ago yet it still just happened and ended a month ago like where are we going this season with baseball yeah as the season starts there's no question and everyone is basically spent about uh three weeks trying to get seven weeks of of work in uh and you talk to players you talk to staffers and they feel like they've been going non-stop since we got word that the lockout is over uh, it's part of the reason why as the season starts there is a general fear within the industry that we're going to see a wave of, in- of injuries for players who maybe not be as prepared as they've been in the past but uh, just a few minutes ago, I was talking to Dansby Swanson of the Braves, and he said, you know, feeling pretty good. And, and uh, Joey Votto, same thing on the other side for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, and, and let's face it, everybody is so excited to actually be here on opening day because a month ago we were talking about possibly, you know, seeing uh, baseball lose a month, two months of this season. Buster, I want to go to the state of New York, and I want to talk about two teams, the New York Yankees and the New York Mets. The Yankees, we know the championships that they have. The Mets haven't won won since, I believe it was 86. But when you look at this year, and Jay-Z and Rihanna and Kanye have a song called Run This Town, I want to know who is going to run the state of New York between those two teams, the Yankees or the Mets? It is a great question. And what I love about this year and now moving forward is, you know, for, for years and years, The Yankees were always the big brother who spent a lot more money than the Mets did. Well, that's turned now. And Steve Cohen, the the new owner of the Mets, uh, is the biggest spender in baseball. And it's pretty clear if they have holes during the course of the year, if Jacob DeGrom's injury is uh, something that keeps him out uh, for a lot of the season, they're going to go out and make moves. Cost be damned. He wants a World Series championship. That's not a dynamic that Hal Steinbrenner, the owner of the Yankees, has had to deal with before. As the season starts, I think on paper they're fairly comparable. Uh, I tend to lean toward a lot of pessimism when it comes to DeGrom and how much he's going to pitch. Because, guys, 
when he comes back, let's say at the earliest he comes back early in, in June, he'll have missed almost a full calendar year, and there's no guarantee he's actually going to be okay when he comes back. Uh, and on the Yankees' side, while I think a lot of their fan base would have loved to see them land at Corey Seager, at Carlos Correa, a big name, they did make uh, changes to their defense that will really help with run prevention. Big question for the Yankees at the depth of the rotation and whether or not the injuries will hit them the way they did last year. We're talking with Buster Olney, ESPN Major League Baseball insider, who is on the call on ESPN Radio for Braves and Reds coming your way starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time this evening. Let's stay in New York. Uh, This is opening day, so I thought we were at a deadline here with Aaron Judge and the Yankees, but apparently these two sides continue to speak in hopes of reaching that multi-year contract extension, Judge said that he wouldn't talk during the season. So where do things stand between Judge and the Yankees? Yeah, uh, two days ago, there was general pessimism, Courtney, around these talks. Uh, you know, they were pretty far apart. And I say this not as a judgment in any way, uh, just as an observation. I think Aaron Judge is a player who absolutely believes that it's important that he gets his true value. Um, and that's absolutely his prerogative. And the best way to do that is to hit free agency. On the other hand, you know, the Yankees need Aaron Judge. We talked about that dynamic of the the Yankees maybe feel a little pressure because of all the Mets spending, and you wonder if that's impacting their offers to Judge. What's been interesting in the last 12 hours, a lot of the people involved in these talks are on radio silence, which makes you wonder uh, if something's getting done. I'm also really curious about whether or not there have been conversations in these contract talks about the vaccination status. Because last year, Aaron Judge was not vaccinated. Uh, from the Yankees' perspective, you're going to want you know, one of the best players on your team to, to be on the team when they go and play games in Toronto this year. You wonder if that's going to come up at some point during these negotiations. Buster, when you look at Major League Baseball, you look at every team right now, who is the one team that can come up and surprise everyone and make some noise? So I picked the Blue Jays to win the World Series, and I thought that was kind of a out-of-the-box pick. But, you know, when I uh, talked to a Yankees official the other day and I asked him if he had seen the Blue Jays this spring, his response to me was, oh, you mean the world champions? <laughs> it was being sarcastic. So I think they are the sort of the, the pick for everybody, uh, you know, the bandwagon pick at this point because of that great offense. Uh, I actually feel like a team that has been incredibly underrated has been the Atlanta Braves. I think because they won because they won 88 games during the regular season last year, the perception about them is well, they're a little bit fluky. They got hot in October, guys. They won two thirds of their games the last three months of last season, including October, and they didn't have the guy who I think is the best player in baseball, in Ronald Cooney Jr., who's coming back from a knee injury. Uh, I think the the Braves have a legitimate chance to be the first team since the '98 to 2000 Yankees to go back to back. Walt Weiss, who's one of their coaches, told me, and he's been on teams that have won championships. He said, look, the the, uh, championship hangover is a real thing. He said, I've seen no signs of it with this group in terms of their preparation. The next next time you're in Atlanta, because I'm here in Atlanta too, let me know so I can get you a home-cooked meal. We can smoke some cigars out here on the back porch and enjoy ourselves, okay? Let me know next time. That would be a lot of fun. (laughs) What a beautiful (laughs) day it is here too. Uh, A day like today we'll have to pick to do that. The San Francisco Giants in 2021 were like the biggest surprise of last year. I mean, from where they started at the beginning of the season to where they finish and what we'll remember them as. I'm wondering, 
is there any team that you have in mind that could potentially be in line for this improbable rise similar to what the Giants had last year? So I, I don't think that I would have enough guts uh, to predict that a team would make a jump the way the Giants did last year. But one team that I've seen this spring that really interests me uh, is that uh, the Detroit Tigers. They have some tremendous young pitching on that staff, and they have significantly upgraded their defense, Courtney. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Tucker Barnhart, gold glove catcher, they uh, made a deal with, uh, with Cincinnati to get him. They signed Javier Baez for the middle of their infield. The other day, when uh, one of their top rookies went down, the front office had a conversation about it, and they decided to go out and get Austin Meadows, who was made available by the Tampa Bay Rays. The Detroit Tigers are trying to win. Uh, and if they were to, you know, take a jump into that sort of fringy area of whether or not they make the playoffs, you know, five, six, seventh best record in the American League, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. They're going to they're gonna make a big move. Day one of 162 for the regular season in Major League Baseball. Buster Olney, ESPN, Major League Baseball insider and host of the Baseball Tonight podcast, is down in Atlanta for Braves Reds. He's on the call for ESPN Radio. That is coming your way momentarily here on ESPN Radio. Pre-game coverage starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. First pitch set for 8.08 p.m. Buster, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game. Thank, thanks, guys. All right, straight ahead, we are going to look back at Tiger Woods Day at the Masters. Heading down to Augusta here next on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. ESPN Radio. As of right now, I feel like I am going to play. It will bring an unimaginable additional layer of interest to this event. Look, it's been said for years that Tiger doesn't move the needle. He is the needle. We're going places that have never been gone before. There's a guy who almost had to have his leg amputated, and, and now all of a sudden he's going to go out there and try and win the Masters. Now everything is focused on how do I get myself into a position where I'm on that back nine on Sunday with a chance. What would be the most improbable win I could ever imagine? You are listening to ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live on ESPN+. Plus. Courtney Crone and Harry Douglas kicking it with you until the start of Ray Reds and Braves beginning at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Radio. We are also presented by Progressive Insurance. So Tiger Woods' day at Augusta during round one is over. He shot one under, so 71 in his first competitive round on tour in 508 days. He had that really serious car accident in February 2021 following back surgery that he had earlier in 2021. So coming off both of those things, and now he is back on tour playing at the Masters, and he caught up with ESPN golf insider Michael Eaves following his first round. Here's what he had to say. Well, I did not have a very good warm-up at all. You know, I, I hit it awful, and uh uh, as my dad said, um, did you accomplish your task? Did you warm up? I said, yes. Now <laughs> go, go play. And that's exactly what I did. I you know, blocked it out, and I felt like, hey, I'm warm. Go play. Let's just go get it done. You know where to put it. Um, execute each shot. And, um, you know, as the round built, uh, you know, I was able to get into the red. Um, I got out of there and got to even par, uh, but, you know, made, made two stupid mistakes at eight back-to-back. Um, loss of concentration a little bit there, 
but I fought back and um, for the day to end up in the red, I'm right where I need to be. You could tell right away, Harry, after that tee shot on one, he didn't like that. His shoulders and his body language would reflect that very much, but he still parred his first hole. And this, historically, has not been how Tiger Woods has started out at Augusta. He typically takes a little bit of time to get warmed up and into uh, his rhythm and his routine, but you know, he started out pretty hot after his round got delayed a little bit because of rain this morning in Augusta. Yeah, and I knew he just mentioned uh, at, at hole number eight that he he made some mistakes, and I know he's gonna think about that tonight. Like, oh man, I'm in a good position, but I would be even better. But one of the things that you got to look at when Tiger Tiger's he's the greatest, right? I know you have Jack Nicklaus, but Tiger, Tiger transcended a lot of things. Those guys know how to compartmentalize uh, situations and get into a zone and get into a mode to where they can thrive. And that's one of the reasons why Tiger Woods and his name has been so big throughout golf. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to bring to the table tomorrow because he sounds like he's encouraged. He sounds like he's going to go out there and and, and try to win this thing. And he's going to put himself in a position to be successful. So that's what I like about Tiger. His attitude is in the right place. Mm -hmm. And I just know he's going to be on that massage table, probably getting some dry needling in the the back and in his leg. All those things are feasible, game ready. That's a little machine that you use. You put ice and water in. Uh, You know, they come up with all kinds of medical stuff nowadays and technology. Getting that game ready, Tiger, make sure you're ready for tomorrow. Yeah, and that's the question everybody wants to know. How does he feel right now physically after walking 18 holes and you know playing his first round of competitive golf on tour in 508 days? Here's what he had to say about his game and his body. Well, I've been saving it. You know, that's, that's the thing. You know, I came up here as a, as a test run to see if I could, and I was able to play – as I said in a press conference, there are 27 holes because we went and played the part three content, uh, part three course. And, uh, you know, I, I felt good, you know, and the whole idea was to keep pushing, but keep recovering. And, you know, that's the hard part is, you know, each and every night to recover. Um, and I've been doing that. Uh, my, my team has been incredible, mm-hmm. uh, getting me ready. And I figured once adrenaline kicks in and we get fired up and I get into my, my little world, um, I should be able to handle business. ESPN Radio. Tunnel vision. There it is. Yeah, no, I mean, he's right because at that point, adrenaline will kick in and it will take over. And there was a point in the in his, in his game earlier, like on six, is that's when he started to feel it. Like you saw that tee shot uh, with his six iron. And I think that that, for me, on the par three, that like where that's where he got into the red on Thursday – you know, he had to kick in a two-footer for a birdie putt, and that was when he started to feel it. So you wonder, is that when the adrenaline started picking up, and could that have potentially been to his detriment? Because he wasn't too happy uh, with what happened on eight, two holes later. He bogeyed, and then his score was even. But he started to kind of teeter teeter that line where it's like, okay, I'm feeling it right now, and how do you kind of rein that in when your body is probably feeling it too? I, I, got, I, got, I got a solution for him. Uh, there's this thing called exceterin extra strength, right? <laughs> That's all I should take before practices and games. I used to get shin splints like no other. Tiger, go out there and get you some exceterin extra strength, and it will do you justice. I, I wouldn't lie to you. Trust me, you're Tiger Woods. I would never lie to you. Get you some exceterin extra strength and push through this thing. We're believing in you. 
He um he will tee off again tomorrow, a uh, part of the same pairing that he was part of today. There's uh the t- quick look at the leaderboard right now. Sung J M is in uh, the first place, uh, he's five under. Cam Smith and Dustin Johnson are both tied for second place, uh, four under par right now. So how he feels on Friday is going to dictate whether Tiger Woods can make it into the weekend, Harry. And like he talked about all last week leading up into the Masters and being able to tee off, or I guess really it was all this week after he got to Augusta on Sunday, was that my goal is just to make it to the weekend, to be able mm-hmm. to be in position, to give myself uh, the position to be able to be on the back nine on Sunday. And at the time that he was saying that, which, I mean, feels like forever ago, considering it took us so long to get to Thursday with all of the speculation, is he going to play, is he not going to play? And then Tuesday we find out he is trending towards playing, and then he does play. But that felt so far away, and it feels like, okay, one ru- one round down – is an accomplishment in its own right. How do you get to Sunday knowing what the leaderboard looks like ahead of you and how you played and what the course felt like and the conditions and all of that on Thursday, now going into Friday? Because he's tied for 10th right now. Uh, it's a it's a six-way tie. Uh, Rory McIlroy is in that mix as well. Tony Finau, Henry Higgs uh, with Tiger Woods at one under par. And... Now that he goes into Friday with no more rain, at least as of right now, expected in the forecast down at Augusta, I'm wondering how differently the course will play to him that he already went through it, potentially on like the most treacherous day, if that makes sense. Well, I think it's all about having a plan, right? Having a plan, uh, breaking things down, following that plan and that script, but understanding that uh, within that plan and that script, things may go rogue sometimes, right? Yeah and how you need to fix those things. And, and if you do fix them and if you don't fix them, it's okay. Get back to your plan so you can be valuable and make it to Sunday. Yeah, and he's certainly been in those spots before where he's had to rebound and adjust on the fly. And uh, if that happens with him again on Friday, it will be no different of a uh, of a situation because he's faced those things before. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive can protect your home, auto, boat, motorcycle, ATV, RV, and more. In short, a lot of things. Bundle today at Progressive.com. Straight ahead, Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton joined Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL in alleging racism and hiring practices. We discuss next here on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. ESPN Radio. Two NFL coaches are joining former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores in a lawsuit against the NFL and several NFL teams alleging racism in hiring practices. It's ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live on ESPN+. Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas presented by Progressive Insurance. Um, Steve Wilkes was the coach of the Arizona Cardinals in 2018. Ray Horton, a longtime assistant coach in the NFL, who interviewed for the Tennessee Titans job in 2016. Both gentlemen are joining Brian Flores with their own allegations of uh, discrimination and hiring practices. So three NFL coaches are now a part of this lawsuit against the NFL and and specific NFL teams. Um, There's a lot to unpack here, Harry, as we've been talking about this throughout the show and what does this mean for the NFL and, and what do people hope will come out of this? And Mike Malarkey is kind of the key cog in this whole thing, effectively as a whistleblower because of his testament on a podcast, 
Pittsburgh Steelers fan podcast back in 2020, which I'll tell you about here in a second, about how this whole thing came together. And Mike Malarkey at the center of this is exposing what, you know, alleging that he knew he was going to be the Tennessee Titans head coach in 2016, the year that Ray Horton had interviewed for the job, which he is now calling an ele- a sham because of Mike Malarkey and what he said on this podcast that he knew he was going to be the head coach before the Tennessee Titans had conducted any Rooney Rule interviews. But more on that in a minute. We're going to go hit the Cansey call in line. David in Minneapolis has been waiting on hold uh, for a little bit of time here. David, you're on ESPN Radio, and, and we wanted to get your take here on the Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton joining Brian Flores' lawsuit. Well, I, I thank you for taking my call, and thanks for coming back to this, uh, the topic. I, I think it's great. Um, I, in my opinion, I think one of the big reasons why there's not been much improvement on, on black hiring uh, or hiring of black coaches is that black people seem to be the only ones that are concerned about it. I believe that if more valuable, uh, influential white uh, NFL players, if, if Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and, and Cooper Cup and and uh, Peyton Manning did a press conference and talked about why they think that there needs to be changes. I think you would start seeing changes, but right now the only people that come forward and take the risk are black, black coaches and, 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 and black people. David, thanks for the call. And it's a perfect segue into our point here with Mike mm, Larkey, mm, mm. Harry. Um, here's the thing. When you have a coach like Bruce Arians, setting the example for one of 32 NFL franchises in hiring minorities across the spectrum, African-American coaches, women, uh, women assistant coaches, and, and putting you know women in the strength and conditioning program as well. He's doing it. He's like a microcosm of what the NFL should strive for, right? Yet only yep. one NFL team has as much diversity um, as we would like to see in, in, across the league, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and now – with Bruce Arians stepping down and going into an, a role in the front office, uh, Todd Bowles gets a chance to become a head coach. And, of course, Todd Bowles is a black man and had a chance with the New York Jets. It didn't pan out well, and now he gets his other opportunity, which he might not have been afforded had Bruce Arians not stepped away from the game. And that's not in any way saying he wouldn't have been qualified for it because let's remember he interviewed for the Minnesota Vikings and Chicago Bears job openings this offseason, didn't get either one, but now he gets to become a head coach. So Mike Malarkey in all of this, not only just like a whistleblower, but like this is what I think needs to be addressed here, that it's not the white savior, so to speak, right? Because sometimes things come across like that where it's like, okay, this is not just a an African-American issue. This is something that affects everybody, but in a way, like, you don't need, like, oh, like, this white coach has more power. He needs to stand up and voice his opinion on it. Like, in a way, you need it. In a way, you don't. But I think what Mike Malarkey did here, going out of his way, because he contacted ESPN, you can go and read the story at ESPN.com right now that Kevin Von Valkenberg wrote about what had happened here with the lawsuit, but also how Mike Malarkey ended up getting involved here. He saw the reporting that came from the initial Brian Flores lawsuit, and he reached out to ESPN to be like, hey, this is the information you need to give this thing the validity that it's so it, it very obviously has, but to provide evidence here to give this thing the legs that it needs to actually affect some change. So Mike Malarkey 
in a, on a podcast back in 2020, a Pittsburgh Steelers podcast of all places, not a well-known one, but one that clearly was, was good enough to get him on, a former NFL head coach. And he talked about the hiring process in Tennessee and said that he knew when he regretted it, he knew that he had the job before the Tennessee Titans and their ownership and the front office went through the process of interviewing minority candidates akin to the Rooney rule. And he exposed that. And I feel like unless we have other people that don't look like a Steve Wilkes or a Ray Horton or a Brian Flores coming out and saying these things and alleging, yeah, this stuff is true. I've seen it with my own two eyes. Then this law, then lawsuits like this are going to really struggle to get to gain ground because it needs that sort of whistleblowing element to it to be like, no, this is legitimately happening. It's not just an African-American problem. It's something that's league wide and it's being seen by people of all races. I agree with you 100%, Courtney. And that's why I went on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, right, one day, and I said, the faces of, 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 of the NFL now is guys like Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, right, uh, Justin Herbert. The game needs these guys to step up as well because Drew Brees didn't do it, Tom Brady didn't do it, Peyton Manning didn't do it, mm-hmm. right? Those guys, in, um, Phillip Rivers, he didn't do it. They didn't do it when they played. So we need these young guys to step up and do it now. Because if if people of color have their backing, the bottom line of the NFL, these NFL quarterbacks, you best be sure they're going to damn listen. Mm-hmm. Because they're the quarterbacks. They're the most important people to a franchise. They're the closest people to ownership more so than anybody. I would even say a head coach, especially if it's a guy like a Justin Herbert, a guy like a Joe Burrow. They're the closest people to ownership. Yeah. So we, I say we as in black and brown people, we need people like that to step up and make noise. And I commend Coach Malarkey because I played for him, and I know he's just not going to come out and say anything uh, just out of context for any reason. He tries to do the right thing. I've known him since I got in the lead in 2008. But it is going to take people who doesn't look like me. To make noise, because for how long, Courtney, has it been people, black and brown people, making these arguments for a exactly. long time? Right? I think that I think that's what uh, David in Minneapolis was alleging that, you know, you've got African American men for the most part who are who are obviously part of this lawsuit, but who have been alleging that this is happening and almost shouting into the void because it doesn't feel like anyone's listening. So. Mm-hmm. I hate it as a as a white person. I hate that it takes a white person to to alleged quote unquote fix a problem that is only affecting people that don't look like me in the NFL. Like that that's what bugs me. The whole white savior thing here, here, here it is approaching the really NFL. Quick. That's why I get frustrated with it because it shouldn't have to like happen like this. And I commend someone like Mike Malarkey for standing up for what the right thing to do is and coming out and saying. I, you know, and, and he's older. He will probably never coach in the NFL again. I think that you told me he's down in Jacksonville and he's happily retired, whatever. So he has nothing to lose here by doing this. Because if you are a Steve Wilkes, if you are a Ray Horton, if you're a Brian Flores, and yes, Steve Wilkes is in Carolina on Matt Rule's staff, Brian Flores got hired by another African-American head coach in Mike Tomlin and is with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But you risk your entire career by, by coming out and putting these lawsuits out. If you are an African-American coach in the NFL and saying and trying to, you know, call BS on the hiring practices. So you need the support of your colleagues, especially people who don't look like you to help you see this thing through. 
Listen, like you see a guy like Aaron Rodgers, right? When he gives Nathaniel Hackett that endorsement in the media. I, I want to see you give a black person an endorsement like that in the media. Because it helps out. Right or wrong. It, things like that help out. That, that's what I want to see. That's what I want to see. And that's what it's going to take. We need other people in the game. And not just other players, but people in management, people on coaching staff, people uh, uh, that has anything to do with the personnel department, they have to step up and come out and say things that they need to say to get this ball rolling because it's long overdue. Yeah, and we're starting to see it take place here. Mike Malarkey doing something for the greater good of the game. And I know that we shouldn't like look at it necessarily in those terms because he did the right thing in, in realizing, hey, this was a problem. When I was hired, I benefited from and what he's alleging. Because Tennessee Titans have come out and said that that is not the case whatsoever. They're sticking to their story. Mike Malarkey is sticking to his story here. But it affects a whole host of people that don't look like the owners of the Tennessee Titans or of the Arizona Cardinals. That's where Steve Wilkes came from. Um, it, 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 it benefits. It's, it's, it's to the benefit of people that don't look like that. So I hope that we hear more about this, and I hope that this continues to gain some traction. And honestly, for Brian Flores' sake, for being the first one to come out and allege these things had happened and stand behind them and give a face to this lawsuit, we have three two, we have three people total now. Two more joined him today, Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton. And I hope that if there are others who want to come forward and be part of this, they now feel that they have the backing to do so. Mm-hmm. And that other people, like a Mike Malarkey on, on other franch- in other franchises, will be willing to do the same thing and help somebody else's lawsuit gain some traction and gain some ground. This is certainly not going away, and the NFL has a very big problem on its hands, and, and it's going to have to address this in some way, uh, somehow, very, very soon. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Straight ahead, we're going to get back to your calls on how to fix Major League Baseball and figure out whether the Nets can put it all together and win the Eastern Conference. That's next, ESPN Radio on the ESPN app. ESPN Radio. Be sure to tune in to baseball's opening day as the Braves host the Reds. Coverage begins at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Harry Douglas kicking it with you on this Thursday evening. With Major League Baseball starting game one of 162 today, we ask you, the caller on the Canty Call-In line, to let us know how to fix baseball because in spite of the fact that they are playing games, Harry, they just ended a 99-day lockout. And the season was in flux for a long time. We are playing baseball, but there are still issues that need to be remedied. We're going to go out to Connor in North Carolina, who has been patiently waiting on the Canty call-in line to let us know how you are going to fix Major League Baseball. Go ahead. You have the floor. Tell Rob Manfred how it's done. All right, y'all. I appreciate it. Um, so I got a couple of things. First, you got to have a salary cap and a seat and a floor. You can't have four or five players in Major League Baseball that make more than four or five teams' entire payroll. That's ridiculous. And I also think that uh, you can't shorten the season much because if you do that, the ticket prices are going to double, so then you won't get people going to the games. And my idea, my thought, I'm not a soccer fan, but I wonder with such a robust farm system if Major League Baseball could take a uh, English soccer, uh, an idea from English soccer and do like relegation and promotion, where if a team like the Orioles, who are just kind of a joke every year anyway, can't play, maybe bring up one of the better um, AAA teams to play in the majors. 
appreciate the call. Thanks so much, Connor. There was a lot there, and I like the idea of promotion and relegation. I feel like we've heard about this surrounding Major League Baseball, if it would be possible, considering there are so many farm teams in baseball, and to see a team like the Baltimore Orioles or even where the Detroit Tigers were not that long ago and and losing a lot of games, would you rather see another team get a chance to, you know, be a part of the mix of winning teams in the NF in the NBA, excuse me, in major league baseball. And, um, you know, actually be competitive. Cause it's real hard when you play 162 games and you lose a lot of them to retain a fan base. Well, for me, I'm gonna go with the salary cap situation. Uh, it is crazy, crazy, crazy. When I look at the payroll right now, the Baltimore Orioles, their payroll is $41 million. The athletics, 48 million, the Pittsburgh Pirates, 56. The Cleveland Guardians, 57. That is ridiculous. How are you even going to win like that? It's not a lot of money. I'll tell you How that are much. You like, I think about win. the NFL and the How salary the hell cap. are you going to win like that? Yeah, it's it's definitely something that we should continue talking about, but something that I think those uh, elite upper echelon players, they don't want that salary cap for a reason uh, to affect their salary and their payday. Straight ahead, can the Nets still put it all together and win the East? We discuss next, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Two games remain in the regular season for the Brooklyn Nets coming off a 110-98 win over the New York Knicks on Wednesday night. They control their own destiny, and they've got the Cleveland Cavaliers at home on Friday night. If they win this game, they will end up being the seven seeds, effectively swapping places with Cleveland, who's currently the seven, with Brooklyn as the eight, in the play-in tournament, which would mean they have that game at home on April 12th. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live over on ESPN+. Plus. So this Nets team seems like it's finally putting it together. Harry Douglas, uh, after last week they lose to Milwaukee, they lose to Atlanta in back-to-back games, and you're wondering, okay, are they in flux here? What's going to happen with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? It felt like that was a tipping point. They win. They they beat Houston. They beat the New York Knicks. I don't know if we should be hanging our hat on that. And now we turn to <laughs> the remainder of the season and wonder: Okay, can this team make some noise in the East? Can they potentially win the East? If they play like they did last night, sure, that's fine. And I think that that's a fair argument when you have Kevin Durant going into hero mode, helping this team come back from a twenty-one point deficit. But that means that you need the same contributions from your bench. You need the same mm-hmm. contributions from a Seth Curry, from an Andre Drummond, from a, from a Patty Mills that you got last night in games that actually matter in the postseason. Well, I'll tell you this. We had PJ, uh, PJ Carlissimo on yesterday. And some of the things that he brought up was the continuity, the chemistry of this team, right? Multiple guys being out different times. You've seen it with Kevin Durant. You've seen it with James Harden when he was there. You've seen it with Kyrie uh, because he wasn't vaccinated. You've seen it with Seth Curry. Um, Goran Dragic, he's been out. He he had COVID, and I think he hasn't been playing the last few games. And then Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge, then Ben Simmons. All these guys you're counting on to make contributions, to be on, to be on your team and make contributions in the playoffs. Yep. And they're in and out of the lineups continuously. 
Now, with that being said, if they can be able to get those guys back in, it's going to be hard for them to be on one accord because they haven't been on the court together at one time. But the bench, you mentioned the bench. I think that is very, very important. Last night, you seen Patty Mills and Seth Curry. Those guys go, those guys go eight for 13 behind the three-point line. And why is that important? That's important because teams are starting now to double-team Kevin Durant when he brings the ball up the court and Kyrie Irving when he brings the uh, ball up the court. That's important because now they have to make the right basketball play, and that's mm-hmm. to the open man. If you're wide open and you're shooting a shot that you shoot in damn warm-ups, you need to make it. Bottom line, this, this lead is about makes and misses. But the supporting cast of those two have to be better down the line for them to be able to have a shot to even get out of the East. Now, I don't know what's going on with Ben Simmons. They, they highlighted him um, yesterday. He was doing a little – throwing a little ball on the basketball court. The back looked like it was fine to me, but I ain't going to tell nobody how they feel. <laughs> if they can get Ben Simmons back, you're not looking for him to be a scorer. You're looking for him to be a facilitator and a guy that can give you that defensive presence. Because when I look at this Brooklyn Nets basketball team, what is the one red flag and the one, uh, I say, alarming thing? It's defensively. They can't get it done defensively. I don't care. I, I, I just don't see it happening because not all of a sudden in playoff time you're going to say, you know what, we're going to be stellar on defense and make this jump. doesn't work like that. Ben well, Simmons bringing him in and, and a guy like Brake Griffin, I thought he did a decent job last year in the playoffs playing a guy like Giannis. You know what I mean? He did decent enough. But defensively they're going to have to be better. Okay, well you said something earlier uh, about Steve Nash and – really underachieving as a head coach and that you weren't all that impressed with the job that he's done this year on this 42 and 38 Brooklyn team. And I wanted to give, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about why you feel that way. I feel that way because you had a guy in the coach and Kenny Atkinson before Steve Nash, who I thought was the right coach for the job. But I think they went more so with Steve Nash because of the comfortability with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And right. Sometimes, and, and, and I'll even say this, these guys got to understand this. Listen, comfortability is it, it drives complacency maybe you need that hard-nosed guy who's going to get the best out of you you don't it, Steve Nass I'm pretty sure Kevin Durant and Kyrie does what they want to do right <laughs> that's another reason why they probably wanted uh Steve Nash to come in there a player's coach effectively yes a player's coach but sometimes you may need a little bit more direction and I just look at out-of-bounds plays I look at certain situations where this team could be better and Steve Nash can be better as well It's a learning experience for all involved, just given the way that this season has played out for the Brooklyn Nets. But they're still very much in the thick of things in order to control their own destiny. If they beat Cleveland tomorrow, they are the seventh seed. They get Cleveland at home in the play-in tournament and uh, get a chance to see if they can actually contend in the Eastern Conference. Straight ahead, we're going to look back at Tiger Woods' first day at Augusta and look ahead to tomorrow, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. As of right now, I feel like I am going to play. We're going places that have never been gone before. There's a guy who almost had to have his leg amputated, and, and now all of a sudden he's going to go out there and try and win the Masters. ESPN Radio. Day one of the Masters is in the books. Tiger Woods tied for 11th on the leaderboard, finished one under par with a score of 71 in his return to competitive golf on the major level. First to, uh, first round in on the tour in 508 days after back surgeries and a subsequent car accident. 
injured his leg so badly that he thought he was going to have to get it amputated 14 months removed from that accident in Los Angeles. Tiger Woods is in the Masters with one round under his belt getting ready for Friday's round where he tees off at 1.41 p.m. local time. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, streaming live over on ESPN+. I'm Courtney Cronin, joined by Harry Douglas, and we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Tiger Woods caught up with Sports Center anchor and golf commentator Michael Eaves following his first round at Augusta, talking about his body, how his leg feels, and what the expectations for himself are on Friday. Take a listen. Three birdies and two bogeys for the five-time champion. I want to ask about your round in a moment, but considering everything that's transpired over the last 14 months, how would you describe your emotions leading to that first shot on the first tee this morning? Well, I did not have a very good warm-up at all. You know, I, I hit it awful. And uh, uh, as my dad said, um, did you accomplish your task? Did you warm up? I said, yes. Now <laughs> go, go play. And that's exactly what I did. I, you know, blocked it out. And I felt like, hey, I'm warm. Go play. Let's just go get it done. You know where to put it. Um, execute each shot. And, um, you know, as the round built, uh, you know, I was able to get into the red. Um, I got out of there and got to even par. Uh, but you know, made made two stupid mistakes at eight back to back. Loss of concentration a little bit there, mm-hmm. but I fought back and, um, and for the day to end up in the red. I'm right where I need to be. With that said, what was this opening round able to tell you about your game and your body that the practice rounds couldn't? Well, th- I've been saving it. You know, that's that's the thing. You know, I came up here as a as a test run to see if I could, and I was able to play. As I said in a press conference, uh, 27 holes because we went to play the part three content, uh, part three course, and uh, you know I I felt good, you know, and the whole idea was to keep pushing but keep recovering, and you know that's the hard part is you know each and every night to recover, um, and I've been doing that. Uh, my my team has been incredible, mm-hmm. uh, getting me ready, and I figured once the adrenaline kicks in and we get fired up and I get into my my little world, um, I should be able to handle business. So you got an afternoon tea time tomorrow. What will the next 16, 18 hours look like for you? Uh, lots of ice. <laughs> <laughs> Tiger, we appreciate the time. You got it. All right. That was Tiger Woods with Sports Center anchor and golf commentator for ESPN, Michael Eaves. And Tiger wasn't exactly thrilled, you could tell, with his body language with that first hole, even though he did par uh, on number one at Augusta. But you could really tell that he was starting to feel himself, Harry, on, on, on hole number six. I mean, he used his six iron. He was only a bounce away from getting a hole in one. He uh, had like a kicked in a two footer for a birdie putt that put him in the red and he was chasing, you know, staying under being even, you know, going two under going back to one under, which is what he finished at on the first round today. But I think the thing we walk away from here is that we're seeing what we're used to seeing with Tiger Woods. Mm -hmm. I think we'd be feeling a lot different Certainly, if he struggled today or if he looked like he physically couldn't handle the conditions at Augusta in walking 18 holes. And, you know, was I know the sun was out when he was playing, but it was wet and gross this morning down at Augusta, which that makes that course treacherous to be on. So I, I feel like we're in a good place right now knowing that Tiger Woods got through day one, but he mentioned the recovery element here, and it's not like you have to recover for one day and then you've got one more round and you're done. He potentially could have three more days of this, assuming that there's no rain delays or or rain outs, but 
that's the that's the hard part. It's like how do you go about this in the day by day element to not just think, okay, I got to get myself to Sunday. It's how do I get myself through fr- Friday first? Yeah, the mental capacity of it all plays a major factor in it. And I'll be the first to tell you, it's humanly impossible uh, to to practice something and then go live bullets and think it's going to be the exact same. And I understand golf is different from a lot of different sports, but when the clock ticks and the competition is there and now you're up and it's no more practice, it is different from when you're a few days beforehand or weeks before and you're practicing and you're probably more relaxed than, than you are when game time uh, comes comes around. So uh, I got to give a shout-out to Tiger, though, because – for a while, we didn't think he'd get to this point right now, for, for especially for a long time. But you think about, what, 14 months ago, mm-hmm. a guy that uh, hurt himself in a car accident, could have lost his leg, could have lost his life, but he's out here giving us the, the material and the viewership that we want when it comes to playing professional golf. And he moves the needle in ways that other athletes, you know, could oh, only yes. wish to. I know that Scott oh, yes. Van Pelt said – earlier this week that he's not he doesn't just move the needle he is the needle and you could tell that by how many people came out to watch the masters and of course it is one of the best events in golf and it is an expensive ticket that's why so many people go to these practice rounds because it's so expensive and hard to get a ticket to be there for the four days from thursday to sunday but watching the reaction from the fans around tiger woods when he's teeing off he's in the tee box he's warming up the whole thing it felt like vintage Tiger Woods, and when he was really at his peak, he won 14 majors from t- 1997 all the way through 2008. And then he had that big gap. Obviously, the personal scandal that he went through played into that, and the injuries that he was dealing with, having to change his swing, you know, the bodily harm he caused himself because he had such a violent swing, and all of the, you know, the fallout from that. And then he comes back to the Masters in 2019, his own redemption story, really a redemption story that was rooted in athletics and, you know, this personal triumph for himself to be able to get to the point where he won his 15th major. This redemption story now feels different because that one divided a lot of people. There were people who wanted to see Tiger Woods fail back in 2019 because of how publicly this cheating scandal had played out, um, even though it was a private issue, it played out in real time and very oh, he publicly. he wasn't high in a, in a lot of households when it came to women. I'll tell you that right now. He wasn't high on a lot of boards. And, and I think that that affected how we viewed him back in 2019 and the coverage of him. In the yeah. Masters. And then Sunday when he won, that was a different day because it felt like, okay, he's got momentum, he's going. And he's going for it, and he's going to win it. This time around, however, it's a life-or-death situation that he just avoided, and very narrowly, and nearly lost his leg along the way. I think you've got almost, and I don't want to speak for everybody, but it kind of feels like we've got universal support, by and large, around Tiger Woods in the Masters this time around because of what he's overcome. And showing... It's that story of triumph that I feel like anybody who's going through a struggle, and I know that we don't want to put athletes on this hero platform and have, you know, like unabashed praise, but this is something that is so rare and would be the greatest comeback in sports, period, if he ends up winning this Masters, to just even be part of it, to watch him go through one round of golf after it was nearly all ripped away from him in a car accident is nothing shy of miraculous. You want to know who else I think Tiger is doing it for? And I don't think anybody has said this yet. 
Yep, especially his son, Charlie, a guy who is watching his every move and has taken in the game of golf. Uh, when you have your kids as motivation, uh, you approach it a lot differently, right, because you know they're watching. And I think that's one of the things that's driving Tiger right now, and especially this weekend. Round two for Tiger Woods, 1.41 p.m. local time at Augusta National tomorrow. That's when he tees off. He finished round one, one under par, a, seven, a score of 71 in his return to the Masters. Straight ahead, we will round out the show with our picks for AL and ML MVP in Major League Baseball and also our picks on who will be playing in the World Series leading in to coverage of Reds Braves on ESPN Radio. That's next. ESPN Radio. It's almost time for opening night baseball here on ESPN Radio. We're taking you up to pregame coverage between the Reds and the world champion Atlanta Braves here on ESPN Radio. And you can also watch the game on ESPN2. Coverage begins at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas kicking it with you on a Thursday evening. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. We want to give a big thanks to our wonderful crop of guests that stopped by the show today, Matt Miller. Came by to talk a little NFL draft action, and I would like to pat myself on the back once again for not mentioning the quarterbacks in this mix whatsoever. We had a whole 11 to 12-minute conversation with Matt Miller about wide receivers, about cornerbacks and offensive linemen without mentioning Kenny Pickett's hand size. So hats off to all of us, myself (laughs) included, for doing that. Um, Hall of Famer uh, and Atlanta Braves hitting consultant Chipper Jones stopped by Aaron Dolan ESPN sports betting analyst and Buster Olney ESPN Major League Baseball insider and host of the Baseball Tonight podcast. He will also be on the call for Reds Braves tonight in Atlanta over on ESPN radio. Now it's time to go three and out. Sometimes it's the worst. Sometimes it's the best. Either way, we'll get you straight with everything you need to know. This is Three and Out. All right, let's go in studio. Shannon Penn, our uh, fearless producer, here to help us go three and out. Where are we starting tonight? I can't hear you. I can see you on the Zoom, but I can't hear you. (laughs) Turn your mic on, Shannon. (laughs) <laughs> going to go two and out at this rate. There we go. There we go. I'm, I'm Turn ma- your mic on, Shannon. Yeah, I may or, I may or may not have had my uh, headphones in my bag, but uh, well, I digress. You're already in Virginia at this point. <laughs> hey, well, moving on. All right, here we go. <laughs> All right, so LeBron James said early in this week on the shop when asked about, you know, players he would want to play with. Of course, he mentioned his son, Bronny. But it was interesting because he named another or named a current NBA player, that being Steph Curry. Here's what LeBron James had to say earlier this week on the shop and talking about wanting to play with Steph Curry. Who else you want to play with? Um, in today's game, Steph Curry. Steph Curry is the one Steph. that I want to play with for sure in today's game. Why Steph? Man, I love everything about that guy. And that mother- left, left. Uh, lethal. Lethal, man. When he get out of his car, you better guard him right from the moment he pulls up to the arena. As soon as he get out of his car, you better oh, guard him. Oh, exactly. sorry, guard him. Yeah, better guard him. You might, might want to guard him when he get out of the bed. The parking deck. Swear oh, to God. He's... 
So, of course, Steph Curry was asked about it yesterday, and this is courtesy of 95.7 The Game. Here's Steph Curry's reaction when asked about LeBron James's comments. You know what? Hey, he might want to play with you next weekend now. That is phenomenal. <laughs> when did he say that? Was that on the shop? Yeah. I like, guess the latest like, one, okay. yeah. No. <laughs> well, he got, a, we, we got his wish, so he's the captain. He's picked me the last two uh, All-Star games, so I don't know if that suffices, but I'm good right now. How's that make you feel, though? Good right now. I mean, whenever you get the uh, the interest or curiosity of what it would be like to play with a arguably you know MVP kind of caliber dude like he is and one of the greatest of all time, cool. Like it's amazing. Right. Um, we all can live in that fantasy world, though. All right, Courtney. Just a couple boys from Akron. Your thoughts on what LeBron <laughs> and Steph had to say? Wasn't there some sort of like unspoken beef between the two of them? for a couple years that apparently now is all wiped away. Like, I don't know. I feel like LeBron saying it at this point of his career, he needs all the help he can get. He realizes what happened this year when he didn't have the offensive firepower around him to be able to sustain a winning season, let alone a successful one. So he's looking at Steph Curry, realizing where he's at in his career and saying, all right, Time to join forces. It makes sense to me, but I also get where Steph's kind of coming from. Like, nah, bro, I'm good. You haven't always felt the same way about me. Listen, I'm going to have a little fun with this one. Steph Curry basically said at the end, man, he ain't Kevin Durant. He can't put that damn ball in the basket like KD can. I'm good, B. <laughs> I'm good. All right, moving on. As we mentioned and we've talked about for most of today, it is opening day. Major League Baseball season once again, immediately following us at 6.30 Eastern, Braves and Reds on ESPN Radio. So naturally, I have to get predictions from you guys. Harry, I will actually start with you. I need your AL and NL MVP as well as your World Series participants. Who you got? Okay, here we go. AL MVP, I'm going to go with uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Last year he tied uh, for the most home runs in Major League with Perez from Kansas City. In NL, I'm going to go with Ronald Acuna Jr. Yes, Chipper Jones talked about him earlier when we had him on. I think he's due for a big year. Now he has an opportunity. Freeman's not there to be more of a leader for that Braves organization, and they're going to need him to play some big-time baseball, especially this year. Now, when you talk about World Series prediction, I'm going to go hometown with my Atlanta Braves because, yes, I still believe in them. And, no, I'm not picking the Dodgers. And then I'm going to go with – oh, my goodness. And then I'm going to go with the Blue Jays because, see, we had Buster only on, on today, right? And if he predicted that the Blue Jays were going to go to the World Series and possibly win it, why would I not do the same? They're in my mix. Um, I'm going to start with my AL MVP, and it's somebody that – has to do a lot because his team didn't necessarily do everything that they needed to do to not be the Bomba squad again, and it's Byron Buxton, center fielder for the Minnesota Twins. I think that when healthy, and this is the caveat here because he's only played 187 of a possible 384 regular season games the last three seasons because he's been hurt a lot, but when he is healthy and he's playing at his peak, he's one of the best two-way players in baseball, so... He's a difference maker. I think that he's kind of in the mix here, like behind Mike Trout, but ahead of Fernando Tatis Jr. So when I throw him in the mix for AL MVP, I'm thinking that he's going to stay healthy this season. 
He's 28 years old. He's right in the middle of his prime. So a fully healthy season for him would probably be like 40 homers, 30 steals, um, terrific defense in center field. Like, he had a 10-war season last year. And so I think that that's kind of like waiting to happen again for him this year. So that's my AL MVP prediction. Okay. As far as uh, ML, or excuse me, National League major, National League MVP, I'm going to go with Juan Soto. He's the best Ooh, hitter in baseball. Feels pretty great obvious pick. to me. It's not really a debate there. The Nationals are not going to win the East, but um, you know, I think that. If he if they get to like a wild card spot, if he has like an on base percentage of 500, 30 or so home runs, he's going to be the definition of what an MVP is to his team. So he's my pick. You can also put, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr. in there. I actually think even though the Braves did lose Freddie Freeman in free agency, I feel like they got better from the World Series team yes. from last year. I think I don't know if that's like an unpopular opinion, but that's just like the way that I look at this roster. And I know that you had them as your World Series favorite. I'll go ahead and be a cliche. That's fine. I'll throw the Dodgers yes. in there. They they loaded oh, up. They no. literally bought all of the players. They got everyone, Harry. Listen, so, they did it last year. And what did the Braves do to them in the NLCS? Yeah, they, everybody talked about I was on with Chris Budden and Phil Yates. They would talk about Mad Max and Scherzer. And what did the Braves do? They went out there and rocked them and socked them and beat them in the NLCS. Come well, on, Braves. I think that the – I also am with you on the Blue Jays. I think the Blue Jays come out of the American League, the Dodgers in the National League. I give the Dodgers the edge here. They win the World Series this year, but the Blue Jays are loaded. They yes. are unbelievable, and the AL is going to be really fun this year. So those are my the Dodgers, picks. The Dodgers is not a bad pick, though. I was just giving Thank you a you. hard time. Listen, That's fine. I mean, it's, it's the cliche pick, and I'm crazy. excited about it. I don't know how you're – if you're a pitcher staff, I don't know how you're going to pitch to the Los Angeles Dodgers. There's no holes in their batting lineup, none. I mean, they, like the New York Mets and what we were talking about earlier on the show, they just went out and said, we're going to spend all of the money and get all of the players because they want to win a championship, and I think it makes sense. So if you and I are going to come back here in October, and we need to make some sort of wager here in the next 20 seconds on uh, if if your pick sees the light of day or if my pick does. Dinner. Dinner? Yes. All right, then I come down to Atlanta and get that home-cooked meal that you told Buster only he could have, and then what do you want? Do you want dinner in Chicago, steakhouse, Gibson's? Got you. All right, we got to get out of here. Straight ahead, Braves and Reds continuing our opening day into opening night coverage in Major League Baseball. Buster Olney, the aforementioned Buster Olney, is going to be on the call for that game. Courtney Cronin, Harry Douglas kicking it with you on this Thursday evening. Have a good night.